from Carry the Load, these are lessons from the front. Stories of service and sacrifice from our military, veterans, first responders, and their families. The adjectives that people use to describe military service I find to be fascinating. Typically, the descriptors are very flattering and appreciative, but what about the person who volunteers to be underwater in a tube that is targeted by the bad guys? I'm not so sure that I can even find the appreciative adjectives for that one. Chase Krause is a command master chief in the Navy who has reached the highest enlisted rank possible, and he spent his entire career in the submarine community. We talked about shipping out for boot camp in the midst of 9-11, the challenges of leading sailors while at sea on a submarine, and the importance of remembering that as a leader, someone is always watching. And of course, he extended an incredibly tribal answer when asked who he's carrying. It's comforting to come across the senior leaders who still get it and who truly care about the people they serve. I actually went on the road to Seattle to film this one, and it felt like the 22-year-old studio producer was so inspired by the Command Master Chief that he was ready to join the Navy and get on a submarine, something he knew nothing about until that day. I hope you find our conversation with Command Master Chief Krause as enjoyable as we did, and if so, I ask that you share it with at least one person. So you've been in uh, submarines your entire career, correct? I have. I joined into submarines um, uh, back in 2001. And then uh, I did a short, ever since then I've been in submarines, I did do a short stint in uh, Colorado Springs as a recruiter. So, um, oh, you got to get that B billet. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that was the only time I was out of submarines, if you will. Uh-huh. Um, that was a three year stint and you know, it was Colorado Springs. So that was nice. So do you remember the very first time you went totally underwater and you heard, and I'm sure you knew, but you heard the creaking of the boat under the pressure of the water. Do you, do you remember that time? <laughs> yeah. Kind of. Um, so there was, again, I joined in, uh, well, I joined right out of high school because I got out of high school and then I, like reality set in, like I don't have anything. So I ended up joining in the summer of 2001. I was supposed to go to boot camp on September 12th, but that obviously did not happen because there was no airplanes leaving Fort Worth or anywhere for that matter. Okay, hold on, hold on. Cause, and I'll come back to that question then too. <laughs> because, I mean, that the 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 mental gymnastics that have to be going through your mind when that sets in. But you said that you enlisted and you were supposed to go on September 12th to boot camp? I was. Uh, September 12, 2001. Very interesting. So a lot of the military, you know, you join and then they give you a ship date. Right. right. You know, and usually it's, I think, again, from when I was a recruiter, it was 12 months. There was a max of 12 months from the moment you signed the paperwork to the moment you actually shipped off. So, again, I, th I think I joined in, it was like uh, June, whatever, after after I graduated, um, joined in. Uh, they said your ship date September 12th. So, okay. Uh, so, I stopped working that week before that. Stopped working at the, I worked at restaurants and, and a couple different jobs. Anyway, stopped working and I was, uh, I was actually on September 11th. I was putting, I was, uh, taking my truck I was changing the oil in it and stuff like that and I was putting it in my parents garage to put it away for the next three or four months until I could get a hold of it and bring it to wherever I was going to be um and uh you know so I was outside in the driveway nothing on and my, my neighbor comes home I don't know one o'clock in the afternoon and she kind of she yells across the street she says you know are you still going to boot camp and I was like I kind of looked at her like well, yeah, yeah I mean I, I got no reason not to <laughs> you know and uh she's like have you checked the news and I was like no and so I, I I go inside and I see, you know, again, I didn't have a cell phone back then. And, and so that my answer, my parents answer machine, there's, you know, like nine messages. And I was like, what in the world is going on? So I turn on the TV and I see a world trade center thing. And I'm like, yeah, the world trade center bombing was years ago. What are we, why are we talking about this? Right? Like what? So you're thinking it was a replay of replay, right? And I, so I didn't know what was going on. Right. And then, uh, so, uh, then I play the messages and it's my mom, like, get a hold of your recruiter. Are you supposed to be going to boot? You know, I'm trying to figure this out. And, uh, so I, then I'm, Again, I'm lost. And uh, so then finally I, I look at it and, and I'm like, oh, golly. So uh, I get a hold of my recruiter. I think he actually he finally got a hold of me because come to find out later, I found out, years later, I found out that when that happened, they told all recruiters to turn off their phones, don't put on a uniform because they didn't, you know I mean? They were out. They sure. weren't in bases, right? So, yeah. 
Yeah, make, make yourself a hard target at that point. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, so he finally got a hold of me. Uh, I so I, I think I went to Meps. So I ended up going to Meps that 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 night on the twelfth. Or I go to the shipping right to mm -hmm. go ship. I stayed in the hotel. Went to Meps. Set up Meps all day. We didn't get a flight. Right. Went back to the hotel on the thirteenth. Went back on the fourteenth. Still no flights. Went back to the hotel. Finally on the fifteenth, I finally got a flight to Chicago. Um, and you know, it, it, my boot camp, my boot camp experience was totally different than what I, what everybody else would, used to tell me when 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 uh, they, their boot camp experience. Because you know, I got to the Chicago O'Hare Airport. Usually, there's a boot camp bus there to pick you up. They didn't know we were coming because again, all flights have been grounded, so there was no boot camp bus. Uh, so we so went. So a total breakdown in communication. Oh yeah. Yeah, so then we go to USO. They they call the base. The base is like, no, we're not picking anybody up. So they get us taxi taxi cabs, like minivans, to 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 the Chicago to go to uh, Great Lakes uh, boot camp. And of course, you know, so y you know the type of uh, individuals that drive uh, taxis, right? Uh, yes. You know, the Indian Nationals, and so we pull up on that base, and they rip all of us and the drivers out of those cars, and so I mean, it's we're lost, right? We don't know, like searching us searching them like it's you know they're on high alert uh, as all bases were so, so you guys were really at a point where you're accomplishing the mission of getting to where you knew you were supposed to be right little did you know it was viewed as something very different right um so anyway then we go through boot camp i knew nothing what was going on in the world nothing um until the six i had a small glimpse my sixth week there service week we come back service week you're not with your rdc's your recruit division commanders you're, you're working at the galley working at the drill hall working you know you're doing service week at least back then um and uh it was final night like friday saturday night i don't remember we're back with rdc's and they did what they called beat us basically just worked us lots you, of push-ups rdc's is that the equivalent of a drill instructor yep yep in the, uh, in, the recruit okay. division commanders okay um so they they bring us in and they kind of i guess to reset us like hey we're in charge again so they, they they push us through a bunch of push-ups you know it's we're all sweating the you know the the the, the barracks area is real hot and steamy because we're all pushing off a heat and they you know put us at attention you know nose to the nose to the post and they start playing proud to be an american um i start playing on the radio and then he starts telling us that like this is the number one song played across the country today uh, and he kind of he gave us a small glimpse of what was happening in the real world because we didn't know we were sheltered from it and like all we knew is that some planes had hit the towers and then now we're in isolation if you will in boot camp right so that was the only so that was a small glimpse we got um you know and then you know i, I graduated at thanksgiving um and, and went on to uh yeah I, I never really thought about that as many as many times as i have talked to people about the fact that they joined because of 9 11. Yeah. you're the first person i've talked to about going to boot camp right after 9-11 yeah. and so it, it's so different it's kind of like hey you know your mission is going to be wartime and now all of a sudden the training the uh, um, uh, the intensity of the training goes up to wartime level training yeah. you know as opposed to when I went in I mean it was it was you know I mean you were it was the Cold War was pretty much over and right right interesting okay so so did you know that you were going into submarines yeah when i joined when i signed the paperwork when i initially joined i was going into a program called secf submarine electronics and computer field okay uh, which once you go to school so after i graduated boot camp i went to groton connecticut all um that's where basic submarine school is in groton connecticut um and there's a big submarine base there as well uh, so you go through what we called BESS, was basic enlisted submarine school, kind of learn the basics of how a submarine operates. Very, very mm -hmm. basic. Um, and then you, during that time, you kind of build out a dream sheet, you know, what, what kind of submarine you wanted to go to, what, what, uh, and you had to set your priorities, location, where you wanted to go, what base you wanted to go to, uh, what type of submarine you wanted to be, and which job you wanted to do within that career field, the submarine electronics career field. Um, so I got put into uh, what they called an electronics technician um, on the navigation side. So basically, I was I was a quartermaster. I was going into the quartermaster rating. Okay, so explain to people what a quartermaster is. So quartermaster is all the navigation, right? Uh, uh, and and 
and if you go historic navy right quartermaster is in fact that a quarter of the master that manages all the navigation pieces of the ship um so that's what you know it then uh, you know so i was learning charts you know chart pedigrees how to navigate all those things along with the electronics that go with navigation mm -hmm. between you know radar systems and, and, and gps systems and things of that nature so uh, and then the basic electronics, because a lot of uh, we do the interior communications upon the ship, how the how we communicate with each other within the ship across, you know, the the telephone systems, uh, the how the systems talk to each other, circuitry, things like that. So that was the schooling I went through, and that was uh, so this is kind of where I hit my first submarine uh, or my first submarine ride, if you will. Uh, so I did I finished Bess, um, I think it was like January of oh three, no oh two. January of 02, I finished best, and then there was a six-month wait until I could get into my class to learn my job I was going to do. So they called it ACU, a waiting class up. There were six months I was sitting there. So they had us doing kind of odd jobs around the base, different things. We were actually down. I was working down helping the submarine in the USS Philadelphia, um, down there chipping and grinding, chipping paint off and putting fresh paint down type of stuff, down in the bilges, which uh, it was working. It was cool. I was down on the submarine. I was finally down on the submarine. Yeah. You know? um, and one day, one of their, their senior chiefs walked up like, you guys ready to get underway next week? You know, we're getting underway. He did it kind of as a joke. And I looked at him. I was like, yeah, well, let's go, right? And uh, and he was kind of thrown back by that. Like, wait, these kids actually do want to get underway? So me and a couple, uh, two other guys ended up getting underway with Philadelphia for, I think it was like two or three weeks. Um, she, she was an SSN stationed out of Groton. And so I get underway. At, I would go out the Thames River. And the first dive, I think – you know, to answer the question, do I remember the first time? I remember doing it. Do I remember much about it? No, because it was just so... I mean, I was all taken aback, right? Uh, one, I wasn't qualified submarines, right? So I didn't have my dolphins yet. So you're kind of like the... I mean, you're the, you're the new guy type of... Yeah, and the, and the dolphin to the submarine community is the trident to the seals. Is that yes, correct? absolutely. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I rode, I, I, you know, then, you know, the, the first job you do on a submarine for, for the most part is drive. You, the junior sailors drive the ship. Really? Like, literally, they're the ones steering the ship? Yes. Um, granted, by direction of the officers and chiefs Understood, above them, but, but they're the one at the helm. They are the helm of the ship. But that's like me telling my, you know, my 13-year-old, get in the car and drive. You steer the wheel. I'll just tell you where to go. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, that, seemed, that seems very... Um, counterintuitive. Um, it isn't, isn't right? Again, they're they're supervised. You know, the 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 helm and the and the stern planesman, if you will, are supervised by a diving officer of the watch, mm -hmm. which is usually a senior enlisted. Uh, some you know some E fives will apply, but usually stand in the watch is an E seven or E eight uh, chief or senior chief. Um, so they're directly supervising them, um, coaching them, sometimes hand on coaching. But, okay. Uh, mostly verbal coaching, um, and that's you know, and that's again, SSNs, the newer submarines. It's all uh, you know, they've kind of removed that, and it's more more technology. It's all controlled by a joystick in, in some manner. But so, but I'm not over exaggerating when I talk about the pressure of the hull of the submarine by all the water that surrounds it. I mean, it does make noise. Oh yeah, and. That's got to be a little unnerving. I, I mean, it's you know, it's like you can be trained for the reality of things, but until the reality actually hits, it's 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 just training. Yep. So it it, it is um, you know, and different depending on the class of submarine you're on, mm -hmm. um, uh, will depend on if, if if you'll get the whole pops um, or the whole uh, compression. Um, so on the on the SSNs, you get it more than you do on the SSBNs. But uh, so yeah. SSN and SSBN, just two different classes of submarines. Yep. So the SSN is a we'll say the they're what we call the attack submarines. They they go out. Um, they'll go. I mean, you know, the submarine mission is is multifaceted. Uh, you know, from seal delivery teams to uh, shooting nuclear missiles to shooting tomahawk missiles. Uh, surveillance off the coast, counter drug ops. I mean, they can do whatever. Hunting other submarines, right. and ships, uh, anti-submarine warfare, anti-surface warfare. So, so the the SSNs will uh, again. They have nuclear reactors, but they will go out and, and do a lot of the counterintelligence, uh, 
hunt other submarines, drug ops, and stuff like that. Where an SSBN, um, much bigger submarine, not as nimble, nimble and agile. Is that referred to as the boomer? It is referred okay. to as the boomer. It has, uh, of course, nuclear missiles on board. Um, so when we, if, on an SSBN you hear a noise, you turn the other way because you don't want to be found. Right. Okay. An SSN, you hear a noise, like you turn towards to go investigate and find. Is a kind of a, a very uh, um, raw example of kind okay. of what the missions there are. Right. Because again, an SSBN, its mission is nuclear deterrence. Right. With with the nuclear missiles on board, so uh, we can't do our job if people know where we are. So we have to turn. You know, we hear a noise, we turn the other way. Kind of. So along those lines, has the the latest geopolitical developments in in Russia does has that heightened the mission awareness? Has it? Uh, okay, so two answers. Uh, one answer I, I can't go into big detail with. It it can mm -hmm. be. Some of the operations, obviously, some of the operations are classified. Some I can't go into big detail there, but it has it heightened awareness? I think to the junior sailor. Let me give you perspective on the junior sailor. Uh, so, guys on an SS, you know, a lot of people join the military, specifically the Navy. Like, I want to travel, I want to go see, I want to go do stuff, right? Um, well, an SSBN doesn't go anywhere except for in the middle of the ocean, right? We don't want our nuclear missiles parked in anybody else's backyard, right? So, they typically just go to sea and then come back to home port. Um, there's very small examples of them pulling in. They used to pull in more before 9-11. Okay. Um, we're, we're getting back into it. We, we've recently had one go into Guam, um, which is obviously a U.S. territory. But, uh, you know, the, the, we're, they're working on trying to get them back into home ports. But for those junior sailors, they, they, we're just out here in the middle of the ocean doing nothing. This is boring. They don't have – sometimes it's hard to see, you know, the forest through the trees type of thing. Sure. Right? Um, so now that – op tempo has changed and things of that nature and you know it's been taught to us you know we've had many wars uh you know that we've been involved in as a country but the, the next war will be fought at sea right we're not going to go the 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 fight is not the fight that we've done in the past right the, the that's armed. an interesting statement so the next fight will be at sea which you don't have to be on the inside of uh, military intelligence to understand where that's going to be. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't want to go too far off that. Okay. And I'll probably come back to it because that's a, <laughs> you just opened a can of worms in my mind and they're <laughs> spilling and running everywhere. <clears throat> but you, you talked about life on the ship for a junior sailor and you know, I mean, you know, I, I got to do a, a West, you know, what we called a West, uh, West Pack. And for people who aren't familiar with it, it's a Western Pacific tour. Um, stopping in all the different ports. And that was great. Oh, yeah. oh, my gosh. You know, getting getting to see the world, as you talked about. I never really thought about it, though, in terms of the submarine community, especially the the nuclear subs because of the, the level of security. Yeah, if you're just going out for three months underwater and then back there that's got to be tough on morale it can be um you know because there's times you know we all deploy you know in the different branches of the service but when we deploy you know a lot of what you you miss your your, your norms whatever your norms are mm -hmm. right so for, you know if your norm is to watch youtube or listen to podcasts or uh you know go for hikes or play on social media or whatever it is you're not doing that anymore right um you're on a submarine now there's no i mean you could download some podcasts but they, they you're not going to have three months worse right right um so your new norm is now playing cards and socializing with the people aboard you know um so that's a culture shock for a lot of people um especially in in these with these younger uh, in the times we are now sailors, yeah. right where, where everybody's cell phone is glued to their hand and, and because that's 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 you, you can't it, operate it doesn't it. even work out there right yeah i mean i would take i used to take mine to see but it was really just for the pictures that i had on it of my family right mm -hmm. um before phones i would take actual pictures but um the uh so yeah 
it's a culture shock and, and, and it can, it can affect morale. But the thing is, you know, and, and as a, as a senior enlisted, when I would check sailors in, you know, I like, look, when you have those down days, cause you're going to have them, you're going to miss your family. You're going to, you know, miss an event. A day is going to come by. That's going to be remind you of this thing that you did, but you're now you're stuck on a submarine doing the job. One, remember not many people get to do this, right? You're going to be able to go back home and say, yeah, I, I've been deployed on a submarine at X number of feet and, and you know, whatever playing cards or watching a movie or whatever um so there's some fun events you know i try to like put it in perspective what you're doing is important one it's fun and it's different than most people do sure one it's extremely important uh and um two we're all here with you right when you get down guess what we're all here and we've all been through what you've going through right you're missing your family you're missing that thing so reach out for help talk to us because we've all been there and you know what we can talk through it and get through it and then you know again go play some cards uh you know we have a couple playstations and stuff out there to you know go play a video game if you want um, yeah uh, when when you think about the tribal nature of the submarine community i mean mm -hmm. you know it's uh, I, I think it's it's pretty well known um you know marine corps infantry has has that yeah. uh the seal teams and special yeah. operations uh in general have it um but that's a that's a unique experience. I mean, I, I've I've never, you know, I've never been in a submarine. Yeah. Um, I've certainly never been in a submarine unless you count the uh, what was that ride at Walt Disney World? Oh yeah, uh, uh, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, twenty thousand leagues under, under the, the sea. sea. That's it. Yeah. You know, that's the closest thing I've ever been sure. to. But I mean, it, it that has to be weird. Uh, here's here's a good question for you: How many months of your life have you spent underwater? So I've done uh, 18 strategic deterrent patrols um, between four different ships, the USS West Virginia, the Wyoming, the Maine, and the Nebraska. Um, if you average those out, because, again, you know, normally roughly three months. Mm -hmm. uh, not all of them were three months. Uh, some are a little bit shorter. So if you average it to, like, we'll say two and a half months. But, I mean, we'll, we'll go two for easy numbers. But So two times 18 um you know that's so my, three years of your life have been underwater underwater let's see um you know and, and probably half of that to three quarters of that is no communication right we go dark and so you're not talking to your family you're not talking to so and you really kind of have to be if i'm not mistaken you have to be careful talking inside the sub too don't you no not necessarily is, is no. that is There's, that kind of a myth talking no uh Noise transients, right? Uh, dropping a wrench, uh, slamming a door, things like that that could transit through the hole and mm -hmm. be a, a vibration, if you will, out into the water. Yes. Um, you know, and there's certain times, depending on what you're doing, what you you know, where you're at physically on 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 uh, in the ocean, uh, what you're doing um, can can matter, right? So we we have uh, opsec changes based on your mission operational security yeah. one of the interesting things about being on on ship it's not like you can say you're fired and and toss them out of there yeah. you got to repurpose them or, or reposition yeah. them or refocus them um i mean do, is there any challenge like that that just stands out to you that you had through the years it's funny kind of derailing here but once my mom used to you know probably still does but where you know i'm at sea i'm 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 i'm, uh, I'm deployed on a submarine you know and somebody told her years ago probably 15 years ago said you know he's probably safer on that submarine than he is driving down i-20 right yeah y you know i mean the number of car accidents that happen every day which is probably a true statement but there's also you know on board you know you talked about the water outside that's compressing us mm -hmm. right so so we're in a, in a tube right we've got three thousand pound hydraulics right four thousand pound air how much pressure on the outside of the hole that just wants that 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 are operating you know right next to where we're sleeping right so it is a risky environment you know so something happens you know I, i've been out there and we've had casualties right and, and we're we train and we fight through it but sometimes people can't you know that's that can mess with people's uh you know psyche when when a, when a casualty arises and like we don't we don't bail and call the fire department we run you are the fire right department. we run towards the fire yeah right? you know and uh so that can mess with people so we've had the people that you know that, that, that just couldn't handle it and we, and we worked we have a one corpsman on board an idc mm -hmm. lots of them are usually previous fmfs um 
So they, by, by FMF, you're talking Fleet, Fleet Marine, Marine Force. Force. Okay, so, so they, you, because they're trained as the sole sole doc. Okay, okay. For you, same thing. He's the sole doc for 150-ish sailors at sea with us. So interesting. So a lot of Mark okay. Foreman have been are usually prior FMF. Okay. Um, I think I, I could say I don't know that I had a corpsman that wasn't prior FMF in my career, um, but uh, you know so. We talked to him. We sit him down. You know, he's he talks to him from a medical standpoint. You know, usually from my position as a as a chief of the boat, I would talk to him. As, you know, just as a as a person, like, hey, we're all here trying to help you. We're here for you. What you you know? But sometimes they just can't, right? And so we've we've got to send off a message to say we've got to get a sailor off because of the situation. We've got to get them the help they need. So we you know, depending on where we are, we may be racing towards. May, depending on the mission, we may not be able to get them off for a few weeks. It may be a few days. It just, it just depends. Right. So what what when you when you're sitting down with somebody like that I mean you know we're we're in an age where mental health is is finally getting the acknowledgement that it's real yep. that it that it deserves um, what is your goal when you're sitting down with a young sailor like that what is your end state that you're trying to get to is it to keep him calm for right now is it to get him to see that see a bigger picture i mean what are you just reading the individual and saying okay here's what i think he needs he needs a hug i mean you know what is it that you're trying to get to with that kid so what one piece is figure out where, where they are right is this something where they just maybe they need to just build some little bit of resiliency within themselves right mm-hmm. um or is this you know more of they're not going to come through this right so that's my first part is kind of gauge that and again i let the corpsman do that first mm-hmm. and usually the corpsman would come to me and the captain and say hey this is this one we'll be able to get through this one have some conversation you know let's let's gather around him and, and hold him up and he'll do he'll he'll survive or the ones like he comes and shaking his head like no this one's you know so yeah because uh, as the chief of the boat yeah that personnel issue lays squarely on your shoulders right. does it not Yes, to to a lot of regard. You know, we talked about morale before, right? So the morale of a ship or morale of any any group of individuals is really led by the the leadership of that group, right? Um, so yeah, when you have things go what we call in the submarine world, and and I assume it's in the service world too, is an unplanned loss, right, of an individual. Again, you're on a big aircraft carrier. There's you know three thousand people. One person going down matters for that division and and and, mm-hmm. and workload on that ship but for a submarine when there's only 150 guys that matters a lot yes right um so um so yeah we, you know we it, it does fall on our shoulders right like you know and it, on, on a professional level yeah there's a require you know numbers that you know they, they lost one you know why uh but on a personal level too like why wh- how did i not where was my leadership? Where, where did I fail in my leadership to yeah. commit, to support this sailor and make sure that they were ready to go? You know, and, and my chief of the boat tour, I had a very good group of individuals. You know, as a, my CO was a, uh, I had two COs and great, great COs, uh, a great group of chiefs that I worked with, and uh, some great corpsmen that I worked with. That uh, that you know, it was, it was fun working with the sailors and keeping the people engaged. You know, and sometimes you know, like you talk going back to the sailor and the, like on the deck plate level doesn't know like doesn't have perspective you know so sometimes you know me getting on the one mc which is the announcing system on the ship right and just telling them hey what this is what's going on is where we are right again as a navigation guy i always knew where we were in the ocean right and i felt like i needed to know that right but some of the guys back aft what we call like lower level louis right the guy changing the oil and the gears and and, and making sure the engine's running fine he has no clue where we are for his all he knows we, we're still next to the pier right he doesn't have it he doesn't have a clue Right. So, so that, and that brings up a really good question. You know, the when you're when you're above ground, you can look around and you can see. I mean, I, I can I can get a bearing for what's going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, even if it's dark at night, and I can't see my hand in front of my face, I'm okay because I have a pit, mental picture of where I was before it went dark. Right. But in your case, how important is transparency to those? you know to the to the rest of the crew it very it's very important you know so we get message what we call message traffic so messages from from offshore from shore like telling us things tasking stuff like that. and a lot of if you don't know how to read those messages or what the intel is that it, it's gibberish right so sometimes it's you know the captain get on the one mc and saying hey this is geopolitical situation 
uh, for instance, my last patrol I did, we got it away February, February 15th, day after Valentine's. Um, you know, and then what, what, pop, what popped off right after that? Uh, that that would have been Russia. Yeah. Yeah. Russia and Ukraine. And, uh, so, so, so you were at sea when that happened. Oh yeah. We, <clears throat> we left before that happened. Um, and so we were kind of out there going like, uh, just can, can you tell everybody where you were? I mean, we were at Pacific Ocean, right? We, you know, yeah. we leave out of here. Uh, key, key, uh, sorry, keep it. Banger, Washington, out of here, across you know, uh, across from Seattle here, and uh, we head out the Hood Canal into the Strait of Juan de Fuca and head out to the ocean, and, and we're out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, you know. So yeah, uh, so you were you were at sea for eleven days, if I if I understood you correctly. I can't remember February, when it popped off. It was the twenty fourth. Yeah, so yeah, roughly, and and, and you know, obviously. You didn't have to be an intel expert to know it was going to pop off. It was all over the news, right? I mean, it, well, yeah, there there was there were a lot of people thinking it was just a, um, a show faint of force, yeah, and a show of force. But okay, so so when that happens, I mean, that that may not, if if I understand the areas of operation, that wasn't necessarily in your area of operation. But Russia certainly is in your area of operation. So, so yes, right, like. Uh, Again, you know, the, the mission of SSBN is nuclear deterrence, right? It's, a, it's always a, a question I like to ask you. say is like, hey, if we have to launch one of these missiles, right? You know, I'm sitting next to it, I tap on the missile tube. If we have to launch one of these missiles, have we done our job or did we fail at our job? Interesting. Like, well, we're doing our job. It's like, well, no, but our job is nuclear deterrence. If we're launching it, we're not deterring it anymore. We're, we're all in, right? Um, That's an interesting thought. So... So that was, you know, and, and that's... But, okay, but let me, let me push back a little bit. You don't have any control over that. That's a, that's a diplomatic world. That's a political world. Absolutely. So how do you, as a boomer class sub, whose job is to deter nuclear war, how do you do that without giving away your position or puffing your chest? So, you know, you can go on Google right now and look at the submarine bases and see submarines, mm -hmm. like, you know, the, the satellite picture, you can see submarines next to the pier. Well, you know, all, the, all of us um, in this world have different satellites floating in space. And so Intel will tell you when a submarine leaves and when a submarine goes, right? We can tell that from, oh, I say a submarine, a ship, right? You, you know, in some of the news articles, you see how, you know, so is it Russia, China, whatever, they're moving there. You know, forces here, we've seen this, right? You'll see that, right? So, mm -hmm. so the same is true for them. They can see when, they know where our bases are. They can see when we leave. So how do we do that? Uh, you know, and, and sailors ask the same, well, how are we? How do they know we're deterring? Well, like, if we're not next to the pier. Then we're out there. Then we're out there deterring, right? There was a quote, I, I wrote this down, it, and it's funny, I wrote it down. Hang on, it's right here in the paper. There's a quote that I read uh, just the other day, and I wrote it down. Uh... The SSBN is on the front lines of war from the time the ship is underway until it gets home. And I, I, it's first it's time absolutely I said, true. Yeah, it is. And I, I was like, wow, that's, that's, yeah, that's true, right? So, sure, does does my CEO make the decision to, to launch a missile now, right? That's that's made at, you know, much higher levels than... than, than but than he's got to be able, you know, he and the, the crew have to be able to give the confidence to the politicians to be able to use that asset out there in a deterring manner. Yeah, so, the, you know, and so that's what we teach the sailors or talk to say, you know, there's there's the nuclear, what we call the nuclear triad, right? You've got the, the sea, sea base, land base, and air base missiles. Uh, we on an SSBN is the most survivable leg of that mm -hmm. triad, right? Because if they don't know where we are, they can't target us. Right, so we are. This was taught to me many, or told to me, I guess not taught to, told to me many years ago, uh, that we are America's insurance package. Every other country knows that if they launch a nuclear missile, there will be one coming from the ocean at them, if they not can, from multiple directions. Right, because they can't target again. They can't target us, and that's what I talked about. You know, when we hear noise. We go the other way because we don't want to be found. We, we have our mission will fail if we're found or if we're followed by another submarine or a ship. I saw at one point that that the the arsenal inside of a nuclear a boomer class sub is greater than that of many countries. Mm -hmm. 
that's that is just when you stop and think about it that is astounding so another thing i wrote down is funny because along the same lines it said so the sub force is 10 percent of the navy so submarine force we're, we're 10 percent of the united states mm-hmm. navy, right so we're, we're a small group um but we're 25 percent of the warships navy's warships and we are uh 70 percent of our accountable accountable nuclear warheads seven zero percent so 10 percent of the navy is submariners but we account for 70 percent accountable nuclear warheads first of all thank you for clarifying submariner versus submariner i'm never sure which one is which you know, you know you i'll say it both ways sometimes you know it, it, different people have different opinions on that but so when it when it comes to life on a sub um some of the you know the quote-unquote you know myths which ones are very very accurate that 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 you feel people really need to understand this about the the submarine world so you know you said that our dolphins are, are much like the trident for mm-hmm. the seals um and uh so that's 100 percent true we 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 take submarine dolphins very very seriously Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an easy process. Uh, there's a lot. Of, like I said, I went to basic submarine school. Again, it teaches you the basics, right? It's kind of like going to, to, to driver's ed. It teaches you how to drive a car. It yeah. doesn't teach you anything on how the car works. Yeah, right? very very little practical application. Right. Um, like, I don't even know if driver's ed even tells you how to change a tire these days. I don't know. But, um, but anyway, so, you know, the submarine, the training we go through, you learn each and every piece of that submarine. All the Again, I was a, I was a navigation ET. But I had to know how the nuclear reactor worked, right? Not the details that the, the, mm-hmm. you know, the nuclear operators go to school for for two years, but you know the basic principles on how the reactor works, right? The electrical system that powers the ship, the the how we make water, how we you know dispose of tanks, and different ways we can do that, and you know all those things. Uh, and then when someone gets, and then we put them through uh, you know a board. They sit in front of a board, three people, and they're just barking questions at them. And they got to be able to answer the questions. Uh, and then they do what we called a, uh, a crucible event where they're, they are, we usually take two or three of them. We'll put them in a casualty situation and they have to be the man in charge of a fire, a man in charge of And this of is a all flood. part of their training to determine, or is this part of their assessment or their training? Uh, so that's their final assessments okay. at the end is the board and the, and the, the crucible. And then their final event, usually we're all on cruise mess and like the entire, everybody who's awake and not on watch will come out to cruise mess. And what is cruise mess? That's where we eat. So it, it, for ours, the SSBN has, again, we're the big submarines. So we have the biggest cruise mess, but still it only fits about, oh, golly, 4, 8, 12, 16, 20. So about 25, 30 people maybe on the cruise mess. And, again, I've got a crew of 150 people. So so that, uh, that means the, the galley is constantly rotating, like like they almost don't have any time off. Yep, so they'll they start one meal, get it cooked, they eat. Then they serve us for an hour of serving us, and then they clean up from that meal, and they're breaking out the stuff and starting the next meal. So, uh, granted, we, we're on an eight-hour schedule out there, so there's you know breakfast, lunch, dinner, eight hours in between. So I've I've heard though that the that the food on a submarine is superior to the food on other vessels. True so or not true? I I don't know because I've never done other vessels. Uh, I always heard that too coming in. Uh, I will say I haven't had bad food. So you Granted, were sold had, that too, is what you're saying? What, was that <laughs> you were sold that too? I, I was. Um, <laughs> you know, we, it depends on the ship you're on uh, and how much the what we call how much the the CS is the, the how much they care, right? I mean, they're a customer service division, right? Uh, but they can, you know, we talked about morale. The CSs can control morale on the ship. Absolutely, right? And so, you know, I've had some great, great CSs uh, on my ships. Uh, I remember one cook from my first ship. Great, I always, I always loved it. It was, I don't remember the guy's name, but I, I remember he was, he would always get seasick, which is fine on a submarine because when we're submerged, it's like walking around a building. It's very, very stable, with the exception of when we do angles. Okay. Right? On the surface, we're like a bobber, right? Because the hole is, yeah. ra- the hole is round, right? So it just bobs in the waves, and so anyway, he would get seasick. I remember that a lot, but. I remember he would. I would stand the mid watch and I would smell him making cinnamon rolls in the morning. I was like, God, he was a great. What we called the. He was the best uh, night baker, uh, or jack of the dust. But uh, he got picked up after he left the ship. And went to the White House. He was cooking at the White House. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah. Those, so, their their cooks there are pretty good. Yeah. 
So I, I got to sample that. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So that's so that's so yes, it depends on the people. Um, okay. Uh, on uh, so so from one boat to the next, it's not just like the same. I mean, I'm assuming it's the same budget for the you know for the food and. It is, but it's how much planning does the lead see us? Like, hey, these are the meals we're going to have. This is the, what I want to load the ship out with and stuff like that, right? Some people buy, like, I'm not, you know, the more experience they have, like, yeah, I'm not buying that stuff. The crew doesn't like that stuff, you know, the experience they have. Uh, and they also have to think about, like, the workload on the CSs. Like, some meals the crew loves, but the amount of workload it requires on the, the cooks. Like, so we did have some, some rock, rock steadies, right? So, so every Saturday night is pizza night. Mm-hmm. It's just that's just thing. Pizza and movies. On Saturday okay. night. That's what we do. Right. Uh, every Saturday lunch is burgers, burgers and French fries. Because Saturday morning, you're cleaning. That's the day we field day the ship. We take two hours and we go through and clean the ship. Right. Okay. Um, which everybody hates, uh, except for the cob. Right. It's a cob yeah. favorite day. Um, cob being chief of boat. Yeah, chief of boat. Right. Uh, so. Um, so after you get clean, then you know you, you get burgers and burgers and fries after that uh you know i get pizza night on sunday sunday evenings is usually uh surf and turf so some sort of you know fish and steak so lobster or crab legs or something like that uh crab legs are a pain because it creates a lot of trash right and when we have to get rid of trash that's noisy right so the more trash we have the more noise we make how do you get rid of the trash so we smash it in uh these metal tins I say metal tins they're very very like basic steel tins they rust real quick uh, and, and on purpose right uh, so we smash trash into these compactor this big compactor again you've asked if we've lost people people have lost their fingers and, and things to that compactor because of oh yeah uh, poor operation of it. it's got interlocks you can't but if somebody bypasses an interlock it doesn't tell anybody about it type of thing that's a we i can delve into that but anyway uh but do, so we, do, you, do you hold on to the trash on nope, the ship nope so we built we smashed it into these big cans and they have to weigh a certain amount and then we put them in a uh we slide four cans in this tube we shut tube and then we flush water and shoot them down to the ocean well that doesn't make the environmentalist happy no it doesn't but there's, but they're they're probably environmentally. So we do store all plastic on board. Okay, so, so plastic stays on plastic board. Plastic stays on board. We fill these plastic bags, kind of like your vacuum sealed bags. We shove it in there and then seal them up and store them on the boards and then and then dispose of them when we get to shore. Interesting. But all like non, you know, all food, paper products that can that are biodegradable. But how do you, okay? So, I mean, who thought we'd be talking about uh, you know the the mess you know the galley at the. Uh, uh, on a submarine, but if you're out there for three months and your job is to stay under there the entire time, and you carry all the all the food you need for those three months, how in the world do you keep fruit and vegetables? You don't. We only have fruit and vegetables usually for about the first. Really? Well, vegetables. I mean, you got canned corn and stuff like that, but like fresh fruit and fresh vegetables. Yeah, usually first two or three weeks, and we're done with those. And then it's just straight canned products. Yeah, basically. Now, sometimes we go in, again, we go in, if we got to go in and get somebody off, same as true, sometimes we got to bring people on, right? Inspection teams to come make sure, you know, mm-hmm. checks and balances, right? So mm-hmm. we'll bring inspection teams on board, and when they come on board, we also be like, hey, get us some fresh food too. So the CSs will order off, we'll send off a message requesting fresh food at the next event. And so, and again, every time we go in for an event like that as a chief vote, I'm, I'm man in charge topside. So I'm, I've got, you know, group of guys that are working and we're loading food and bags and things like that is there is there any specific instance from your time in a submarine that stands out for good for bad for whatever that where you just go i will never ever forget that as long as i live <sighs> yeah so there was well there's a few you know so there's fun what's, things. what's the first one that came to mind it was one time we so like i said certain times we can't be seen right a lot the goal is to not be seen certain times you're allowed depending again your opsec what's going on politically you can surface right i remember on my first ship uss uh west virginia i can't remember which patrol it was on but i did six swim calls Calls or quals? Swim calls. Swim calls. Okay, so sur- what's a swim call? Surface ship and go swimming. Okay, okay. And uh, I remember... So people are are literally swimming. We're jumping off the side of the submarine. Okay. And so 
so you know that you have to be surface but it's it's crazy to think you know to me it didn't i was a you know a young 1920 you thought it was normal 20 kid like let's go have fun but some people were like you know looking back a bit okay i could see that but you know your top side as far as you can see is water no land anywhere right and the only thing out there is this submarine that you're on and now you're about to jump in the water right some people just couldn't con- like i'm not jumping off the only thing i have out here in the middle of the ocean like <laughs> i'm not you know for me i was like I'm, I'm out right i would even jump like as the waves came down the side of the ship right i would jump when the wave was high so that way by the time i hit the water it was down it was more falling distance into the water it was just you know just fun stuff and then you're climbing a net back up the side of the submarine to get back on top and again that we did six swim calls that patrol and uh, it was i i remember it you know my feet were raw because the top of this submarine is very rough yes so when you're up there you don't you have traction right um when i'm running around up there barefoot jumping off you know and it's funny we're jumping off the submarine on one side and on the other side somebody's over there fishing right you know and uh people smoking cigars and cigarettes topside so that's you know that letting your hair down event right that's how you get morale right absolutely uh so you know those things like that are halfway night events so we usually have a halfway night. We're celebrating. Hey, we're halfway through the patrol. Okay. We'll do fun events. We'll do turn- card tournaments, you know, poker, cribbage. Um, they, once video games came out, now we do, you know, Madden tournaments and stuff like that. Um, and, and obviously the operational security of that moment was such that it's not that big a deal. Sure. When you, so we had, a re, the, you know, relaxation. There's requirements to be there. Again, like I said, you're topside and everything you see is just water. That's a requirement. That nobody else, like, you can't see a ship. The ship is not anywhere near you, uh, even with radar, right? Um, but aren't y'all typically in support of a, a larger fleet? Depends. Uh, some of the SSNs will, yes, if they're attached to a strike group, a carrier strike group, mm-hmm. they will be a part of a, a group. Uh, SSBNs were never that. We're just Those are sole practitioners. Yep, we're, we're out there by ourselves. So, uh, so yeah, the, you know, that event, what, those events are, are things that I will always remember. I had a chief tell me one time when I went to recruiting, I was like, yeah, I'm not coming back. I'm going to get, you know, just like most people that join the military, like I'm going to go join the military, start do my time, get the GI bill and get out. Right. That's what I would say probably 90% of the people that join do. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so I, I reenlisted the first time cause well, they threw a bunch of money at me to stay in the Navy and I, it was easy and I was having fun, you know, and, and, uh, so I was like, yeah, I'll reenlist, right? And I went to recruiting duty. I was like, I'm going to get out of rich recruiting duty. Well, that was 2008. The market crashed. So I was like, well, I'm not going, I'm not getting out. I'm putting people in the Navy right now. They're 35 years old. They just lost their lot, lost their everything they had. I'm putting, they're married with two kids and I'm putting them in the Navy, you know? So I didn't get out with them. But anyway, when I went to recruiting, I had a chief tell me, he's like, hey, if you're no, if you don't want to come back to the submarine, you better write down the reasons you don't want to come back because you'll forget them. And he was 100% true. So I did when it came time to re-enlist because I, I needed to because of market. And it's like, let me look at this list. And I looked at that list and I said, and I was like, ah, these things weren't that bad. Because what I did remember were all the good things, right? The camaraderie that I had built with those, with all those other sailors out there. Like that's, you, you, there's nothing greater to me as, as far as the submarine world, um, the experiences I had. Right. And then there was some ambition in me that like, hey, you know, I left the submarine and I didn't finish these things on the side. I didn't finish these qualifications on the submarine. I had I kind of wanted to set it myself like I, I want to go back and do that. Right. So even though I had written down the things that I hated, when I look back at them, they, the benefits in my mind outweighed the negatives. Well, common adversity builds common bonds. Sure. And so the you know, the, those challenges and difficulties that you went through it, it it probably brought you a lot closer to you know the people the community the 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 career yeah. really when it's when it's all said and done but when, when you talk about adversity what it what was the if you write a chapter in your book the biggest challenge you faced the scariest moment that you dealt with so, what story highlights that? So the biggest adversity I face it, you know, sometimes it seems minor, but it was really, didn't really have anything to do with the submarine. It had to do with the fact that I was in the military, right? So, you know, kind of story time. So I came, I went recruiting. I came back to, I went back to Kings Bay, Georgia. That's where I was. I was back there for about a year. And then I put on chief 
right? Which in the Navy, making chief petty officer is a, a, a huge, big deal. It's, it's a big deal, right? There's a six-week uh, uh, transition process for, for chief petty officers, which we're doing right now. Um, so I went through that, which which that alone was pretty pretty challenging for me. Uh, and it is for, I think, most sailors. I mean, it's fun and it's challenging, but it's also challenging for, for my spouse. So when I left recruiting, I think we left recruiting a month or two after my first son was born. So we're traveling cross-country with a, a two-month-old, right? Um, again, I'm back in Kings Bay. I'm there for a year. I go through that chief's, chief's transition time, and uh, I've been back in Kings Bay for a year. My wife is now, I think, seven months pregnant, and they say, now you're going to you're going to Bangor, Washington. So I had just put $20,000 into a house that I had to rent out because of market crash. I wasn't able to sell it when I went to recruiting, so I had to rent it out. And, of course, the house was a little short. Anyway, so I put a bunch of money back into the house to get it back up to par. It was good to go. And then, like, nope, now pack up your bags. You're going to Bangor, Washington. All, you know, opposite corners of the country. Sure. With a 16-month-old kid and an 8-month pregnant spouse. Um, so, you know, I loaded up. Um, we loaded up the truck, the dogs, the kids they navy loaded up all my stuff and i'm you know a mover and we, we travel cross country stopped in dallas fort worth you know stayed with my family for a week or two um and then i left dallas fort worth it, dallas fort worth you know going from fort worth to 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 banger washington that you know i don't think i'd ever been any further west than i think colorado you know it's a long drive it it was uh it was almost like going on the other side of the moon you know it like it was it was challenging for me and my wife uh that drive i mean she was having to drive her car i mean anybody can think about any female out there knows like driving your car at eight months pregnant seven months pregnant for a cross country is not comfortable you know so she had to do that you know uh we took turns with a 16 month old and it's not like the military and this isn't a criticism but it's not like the military gives special consideration to that it's just they they don't and 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 i get we can't right because if we if we took special consideration that then we would never be able to in some regards execute our mission right so i mean they 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 know it's challenging right um so so we took that trip across and we showed up in banger washington and we knew no one right sure i knew some sailors but my ship my crew that i was reporting to was deployed at sea uh so we showed up in king in banger washington in, in in november uh the Monday after Thanksgiving, I was on a plane uh, to Hawaii to meet my ship. My wife left alone in a eight new place. Pregnant. Eight months pregnant. Um, with a 16-month-old as well, my other son. So, you know, that was challenging for me and her both. Um, Were you able to be there for the birth of nope, your... Nope, nope. So then my son was born three weeks later. Uh, my second son was born three weeks later. And, uh, you know... I got the me- I was at sea. I got the message. The captain brought the message in and said, "Congratulations, you know." Uh, and I we pulled. We came home. I think roughly about a month later, we got home. You know, it was the first time I saw my son, and uh, you know, again, it was very challenging for her. I, I think it was more challenging for her, right? Uh, again, she was in the hospital, and, and other spouses came to support her from the command, but she didn't. She did not know them, right? Um, so, you know, there was that community that the dead rallied around her in our family, but it was definitely when I got home, it was, uh, she just needed time. Like, you know, and, and of course I just got back and I'm trying, and I'm a new chief trying to run a division. So there was yeah, that. You, you each had your individual challenges yeah, yeah. that you were dealing with. And to a degree you could come together and support one another, but in yeah. a lot of ways you had to face those challenges on your own. It was, you know, and it, again, it was a challenging time, but it, you know, what I can, we, me and her both can look back at and appreciate is we became stronger and more resilient people for it. Yes. Right. Um, we pushed and we, 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 we pushed through it, you know, we made it through, you know, and it made her, so later on, you know, fast forward two years later and she's, she did volunteers to be the command ombudsman, you know, the command what ombudsman. Um, so kind of like the spouse that's there she's the the she's the conduit between the spouses on land and the command so right. kind of like the team mom in a in a youth kind soccer. of yeah and 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 she had she could have empathy for those spouses when they struggle and she yes. could say yeah but you guess what you can make it i did and this is what i did to, to struggle to get through it you can do it too right 
if you take all of your, your, your time and service, how do you wrap that up into a lesson that, that you're teaching your, your kids? So, you know, I, there's a lot of things that I take from work or being in the service that I try to teach the kids, you know. Um, a lot of times, I, why are you doing something? Why are you doing this? Well, I don't know. Well, then, if you don't know why you're doing something, don't do it, right? This is one of the things I teach them. But, you know, one is ownership is one big piece that I try and teach my boys that I, you know, that, that I, that I see a challenge in every day is with junior centers that come in the ownership, like, you know, Oh, it's not mine. I don't care. Right. Like own your space, own your things, own what you control. And if somebody else isn't owning something, then take over it. Right. So, you know, I can't remember golly, who's the guy that talked about, you know, the success every day, you accomplish, you know, waking up, making your bed in the morning. Right, that first thing you do. Oh yeah, uh, McCraven. Yeah, General McCraven. Yeah. And uh, you know, kind of the same thing. Like own it, right? Like own your mistakes, own your successes, and learn from your mistakes, right? And you know, we all say that, learn from your mistake. But the, which is a great, great philosophy. But the other piece of that is to to acknowledge that you made a mistake first, right? Because mm. if you don't acknowledge a mistake, then you're not going to learn from it. Right. So, so there's, own there's it. that humility piece. Right. So own it, own the mistakes um, and learn from them. Right. You know, as we talk, you know, you said, well, I asked, well how, how did you cut your finger? And he said, well, this, I'll find out in a couple of years when he really tells me what he did. Right. But uh, um, I love it. Own it. Own yeah. your space. Ownership is, is one thing I try to, to drive. Right. And, 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 and what I teach my boys based on what I've learned in the military. Um, so. That's awesome. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing everything with me. Yeah. Command Master Chief. That's yeah. uh, did you ever think you were gonna get there? Did you? Shoot, just... No, I tell that kid to people every day. You know, I I got to my first submarine. I saw my first cob, and I was like, man, that's cool. Like, I want to be that guy. I'll never make it there, but it'd be cool to be that guy. You know, and then you know, life happens, and and and, and here I am. You know, um, and I say that. Not because of mine, you know, it's all the, all the people, one, my family, right, that's supporting me, um, two, uh, my parents that raised me, you know, three, the sailors that, that I, yes, they were junior sailors that I was in charge of, but I like to say the sailors that I worked for, right, because I did everything for them, right, they were down there, sure, I was one of them back many years ago, but, you know, I had chiefs that taught me the right things, I had, uh, other sailors that I learned from them, um, even though they didn't know, right? So I always tell, like, they always say, you know, always mind your manners. You never know who's watching, especially when you talk to your, about your kids. You know, your kids are always watching what you do. Same is true, I tell every sailor. Like, there's other sailors that maybe are watching you because they think you got it right, right? You're mentoring other sailors and you don't even know it. Um, so... Anyway, all those sailors that I worked for helped me and got me to this position, um, you know, and all the other chiefs that brought me here, right? So it's not me, but... Uh, and somewhere out there, a junior sailor has checked into the command who is looking at you the same way you looked at that yep. at that cob. I hope so, and I hope I did it right, you know. Well, by the things you're saying, I absolutely believe you've done it right. Yeah. So as, as you know, uh, with, with Carry the Load... Um, you know, our mission is to make sure that we never forget those who never got to take off the uniform, make sure that we honor those who, who carried a load for us, and we want to make sure that we're continuing to carry um, their name and their memory for their families. Um, so the big question is, who are you carrying? So, you know, being in the submarine world my entire career, um, more time in submarine world than I have in the civilian world, um, a lot of what we do in submarines is history, right? We learn again, learn from our mistakes. And if you go back and look at history, every 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 April, you know, the, the beginning of submarine time, if you will, in the United States is April first. So every April we go to the submarine birthday ball, right? We dress up. But one big thing we do at that submarine birthday ball every year is we toll the boats. All the boats lost at sea, never to return, right? Um, you know, and a big portion of those came in, in World War Two. Uh, you know the the submarine battles in World War II were were epic. Um, you know, so that's who I always like to remember is all those sailors that, that operated submarines before me, many years before me, and now today we operate submarines better 
um, and stronger because of um, the sacrifices that those those men made back before me. Who actually probably made it safer Absolutely. for you guys to operate. Absolutely. Well, Command Master Chief Krause, I really have enjoyed our time, and I really do appreciate it. And I, I hope you were able to get something out of this. I know I did. Absolutely. It was great. I appreciate it.